looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down and still somehow The clouds' illusions I recall I really don't know clouds at all Hey, this is Steve Balton. You're here at My Turning Point, where this week... Really fun conversation with uh, one of the great vocalists in the world, Josh Groban. Really fun to talk with him about his new album, Harmony, the songs he covers on there from the likes of Joni Mitchell, Roberta Flack, and more. And we also touch upon his charity foundation as an encyclopedic knowledge of vocalists from Joni Mitchell again, and Tony Bennett to the Elvises, Costello, and Presley. Hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. I mean, it's such a beautiful record. I also Thanks. love your song choices, which will come on to some of those. Thank you. But so I, when you do these, it's interesting because I wonder if those tie in with all, with your turning point and sort of these classic songs that, you know, I mean, you go back to first time ever I saw your face, Roberta Flack version. It's like, I don't know how old you were when you first heard that, but it's an incredible it's, song. It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary song. It's one of the great vocal challenges uh, out there, I think, because of its nuance, because of its... Um, you know, you have to, you have to paint with every color of the rainbow to sing that song. And it's, uh, that definitely falls into the category of, uh, very scared to tackle it. Uh, very glad that I did, but, um, but yeah, I, I do love it. I was, I was, yeah, I was raised in a musical family. My, my dad, you know, played trumpet through college before I went into business. My mom was an art teacher before she had my brother and I. And, and so even though they weren't in it professionally anymore we were raised with a lot of great vocalists in the house and had a lot of great songs like that playing in the house and so um you don't realize how much that influences you until you're an adult and you actually have the chance to curate your own songs and music and you can say oh i remember that when i was you know five years old or whatever it was yeah so does that tie in with your or what's your turning point was it growing up in the musical house or my my turning point uh i think my turning point was was the first time i ever uh saw a theater I think that, that growing up in L.A., it was very lucky that we had every show was, would come through the Music Center or the Pantages or wherever it was. And, and I was fortunate to have parents that, when I was eight or nine years old, allowed me to go see a show and be moved by live theater and musical theater and concerts. We'd go, we'd go out. And so um, that was my turning point as far as how much I knew music meant to me as a language. Um, my turning point and why I have an arts education foundation now, because I was in a privileged position to be able to have access to the arts at that age when a lot of kids do not. Um, but my, my turning point that I could actually sing came from a teacher, came from a, a music teacher that I had um, named uh, Richard Barrett. And he pulled me out from the back of a choir and he gave me my first ever solo ever. And uh, I was shy. I knew I could sing a little bit, but I was not an extrovert by any stretch of the imagination. And so to have it as an assignment and to have that opportunity to face that fear and to then get applause for it and to make my parents proud and to feel um, like people came up to me the next day and said, hey, that was great. Um, I, I, from that point on, felt like my whole scope for the hope for my future just opened up that there was something that I could do that I was okay at that would be a, a, a great joy for me. All right. So multiple questions on that. The first one being obviously 
Do you remember the first show you saw or, or the favorite show that you saw when you first started going to the theater? So um, the first show I saw was nine years old. It was Cats. And uh, it was my first introduction to uh, the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And, you know, for a kid, when they got the tunnels and the stage and they're rolling, you know, they're going all over the audience. And, and you know, that show for all of the, you know, for all of the flack the movie got, you know, has a has a pretty spectacular score. Uh, his 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 composition on that is 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 pretty amazing. And so for a, for a nine year old that had an inclination towards interesting and complicated music, hearing the chord structure of that score was the first thing that set me off. And then I went and I started to get a deep dive into Sondheim. And then I started to even if something wasn't coming to town, I would have the VHS copy of something in the park with George, and I would watch you know, Angela Lansbury and George Hearn and Sweeney Todd. And I would listen to this, the, you know, company. And, and then, it, then I, I started to realize that I started to listen to more um, cast recordings, uh, just how much all of the ingredients of theater and musical theater really vibed with me. And the idea of, because I loved acting and I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't know how to incorporate that with my singing. And the idea that, that it could all wrap around to tell a story in a complicated way that didn't take the audience's intelligence for granted um, was, was incredible. And so, you know, that led to eventually getting my first lead role in junior year of high school. And then I didn't turn back. And how old were you when you had the first solo, that, that turning point moment as a singer? I was 13. Okay. I was 13 with a, with my a voice that had not yet changed. So, you know, that was terrifying for me, you know, to be going out and singing, you know, it's wonderful. The Gershwin song, you know, <laughs> you should care for me, you know, and I just thought it was going to be, that I was going to be bullied for the rest of my existence. And the bully came up to me the next day. The guy that always been giving me shit my entire schooling life came up to me and says, Hey man, you, you got, you, that was really good, bro. That was good. For <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I felt like if I could win that guy over, that was my biggest defense. Nice. So it's interesting because then when it's funny, so, you know, you were kind of hesitant to, or not hesitant to do it, but you know, you thought you were going to take shit from it. And then it ended up being the thing that sort of won people. So at that point too, do you start to realize then the, the power of music and the fact that you also like have a talent that, you know, does impress people? Cause look, every artist, as, as I talk about all the time, every artist is their own worst critic, you know, every sure. artist is like, Oh yeah, no, uh, uh-uh, or whatever. And then when other people start to respond to it, then you can sort of get perspective and be like, oh, okay, maybe I see what they're responding to. You think you need, you need that perspective. You need that, that back and forth of an audience reaction, which is the kind of thing you don't get when you're just trapped in your own head and you're trapped in your bedroom, you're trapped, you know, wondering how to make your mark on the world. I mean, at that age, I was, you know, also dealing with a great amount of anxiety. I, I was, dealing with, I think, not, not a small amount of depression. I was, my grades were, you know, all over the map because I, I hadn't been diagnosed with ADD at that point. And I didn't know what, I didn't know how to connect. I didn't know how to feel at peace with myself at that time in my life. I think that's shared by a lot of young people in junior high school and high school where, and especially, I'm, thank goodness I didn't have social media back then. Um, somebody wanted to bully me. They had to act, get up in my face and throw me against the locker, you know, <laughs> they had to do it for real. Um, but, uh, I, I think that it, it definitely unleashed in me um, all kinds of things. One, it gave me confidence. 
uh, in myself, which of course you plant that seed and all of a sudden a lot of other things start to show up. It also improved my grades. Once I started to use music as a tool to learn and had uh, the idea that I could come home from school, play the piano, sing a few songs, and then go do my homework, it put me into a focus mode that was different than just dealing with the ordinary stress. Um, it's why my, my, I have an arts foundation called Find Your Light. We are not necessarily talent seekers. That's a bonus if we find the next you know, star. But the main purpose of it is to make sure the programs that, that utilize that, what that did for me, the arts in schools, to make sure that kids that also need that to finish their picture for themselves, um, that they get that. Because it was a light, an absolute lifesaver for me. Um, and then the fact that I had a fork in the road and had an opportunity to do it professionally. And then on top of that, to do it on a level where there could actually be a fair amount of, of success attached to it. Um, that was a complete surprise to me. Now, I'm interested. How often do you get to actually interact with the kids personally? Because I taught Grammy camp for 13 or 14 years. Oh, great. And I, I did a program here in LA called young storytellers where you oh. work with a kid yeah. and you, you actually develop, are you familiar with it? I am. Yeah. So I, I've done both. So, and, and it is, you know, among the most gratifying things that you can do. So for you, how often do you get to actually interact with the kids directly? Uh, as often as I can. And when you're on tour and you have days off in a city where you have a, a program that is a grant recipient, um, it's always fun to go and do that. It's a, it's a, it's the best reminder you can have for just how, how relatively easy it is to change a life. Uh, when we were talking about paintbrushes and instruments and teachers, you know, we're not talking about defense budget here. We're talking about, um, you know, a little bit goes a very, very long way. And then when you get to go and you get to talk to the principals, uh, the most amount of time I've spent at a pro any given program is when I was uh, an ambassador for um, Michelle Obama's turnaround arts program. And, and so the school that I kind of took on was um, Chalmers school of excellence in the South side of Chicago. And just as an example uh, hearing the testimonials from the, from the teachers and from the students about coming from environments, home life, neighborhoods where they are not getting the, the enrichment that they deserve as far as uh, leadership skills, self-confidence, uh, learning about themselves in the world. And, and, and the main one is self-expression. When kids that are coming from difficult neighborhoods, difficult home lives, then aren't able to get that out of their systems and express themselves in a way that's healthy, they're going to start to express themselves in ways that are really unhealthy. And so what we would find at, at schools like that is that incorporating the arts as a tool took kids that were in the back of the class, you know, messing around, didn't care. Um, all of a sudden they're raising their hands in the front and they're helping teach the class when the teacher's out of the, out of the, out of the thing. Kids that were prob really had behavioral problems that were acting out in sometimes violent ways are now needed to be the lead in a, lead in a play. You know, they were, they were choosing the wrong ways to express the pain that they were experiencing in other parts of their lives. And so um, you can read it on paper. You can read stats all day long. And it's fun when the math is on your side in that regard, where arts is arts and are re the arts in schools are really helping to shape graduation rates and whatnot. But when you get to go in person, like you said, you, you see the light bulb. We call it find your light because you actually can see a change behind the eyes. And it's, uh, it's exciting. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Yeah, no, the personal interaction is so different. And, you know, let's tie it in with Harmony because I would imagine that, you know, some of these songs, as you mentioned, you know, like First Time Ever I Saw Your Face or Both Sides Now, which is funny because, I mean, that's just one of those songs that it's like, I think everybody comes back to again 
and again yeah. and again and it's yep. like you know and it's even know, Joni. i mean i i my my favorite my favorite version of hers is the one she reinterpreted um with that beautiful vince mendoza arrangement um so yeah it's it's the kind of song that whatever time you're at in your life there's a new gem of a meaning to find in that well that's interesting because you know i mean I, I find that very interesting because I think that the best songs are songs that travel with you. And what I mean by that is they're songs that, you know, when you're 10 years old, when you're five years old, when you're 40 years old, they take on new meanings for you. And obviously, like, you can hear a song like Both Sides Now as a kid and you're like, oh, it's a beautiful song. But then only later on, when you get older, can you actually interpret the meaning or understanding? So it's interesting for you. How has that song changed for you as you've gotten older? Or how have you appreciated? Again, you can listen to it and think it's a beautiful song. But until you yeah. have the experience, you can't really understand the brilliance of it. So how has that song changed for you? I think that song probably has a, a huge new unexpected meaning for a lot of people in the world right now. Um, I didn't sing it for the longest time, wanted to. I've got, I mean, I've had songs on my bucket list forever. As a vocalist, you just have your wish list of songs you can't wait to tackle that, you know, I think with experience, you, you start to realize, well, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. To interpret it i haven't I, I don't i'm still i'm still a listener of this song i'm not a singer of this song yet and and i think that you gotta you gotta pick when it feels right to 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 interpret and honor a song that's been such a, a soundtrack to our lives and such a classic um that song is as you mentioned when i was talking to sarah Bareilles, um who sang it so beautifully with me on there um we were talking about the same thing we were just talking about you know just what we've what we've seen from this and what we've both been going through and 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 i i brought up the song and just said does this feel right you know and would you do it with me and and she said yes and yes and and um sometimes you can't really fully grasp how much it means to you in the moment until you actually start to vocalize it and start to sing it and that session with her was was among the most special that i've ever done because because of all of that around it um but I feel that way about a lot of songs that I even sang on my first couple of albums where I had to, you know, sing about very deep, very heady emotions and, and life experiences at, at all of, you know, 18. And so there was a lot of kind of approximating that I was doing at that age that I knew was connecting with a lot of people that were a great deal older that had lived through those things that I hadn't quite gone through those deep experiences of love and loss and, and the joys of life and the tragedies of life. And so I enjoy singing those songs more now than I did then because of that extra 20 years of experience. Um, but a lot of the songs in this album were songs that I've wanted to do for a while or the fans have asked me to do for a while and just didn't feel like they were right. There were songs probably that were lined up that we were thinking of demoing before the quarantine started that maybe were shelved for another time. There were songs that, that came about from all of this that, that we were going through as right for this album when they may not have been necessarily as right, you know, a year ago. That's well, interesting. Are there, and, you know, the other thing about it too, it's funny. I, I remember talking about this with Brian Ferry when he did an album of all Dylan covers. And as we talked yeah. about, you can love a song, but yeah. it doesn't mean that it's a right song for you. So at what Correct. point do you determine that, okay, now this is the right time to try this. Or, or I'm always curious about this as well. Are there songs of yours that are still, or songs, I should say, that are just, you know, they remain sacred cows. It's like, they're so favorites or you, they're so perfect. You're like, 
I love this song. This is one of my favorite songs, but I'm just not going to try it or it doesn't feel right for me at this point. I'm sure there are a few of those. Um, you start, you learn <laughs> restraint, I think comes with experience a little bit, you know, that, that kind of, I, I've had to, there, there have been a lot of songs in the past where I just sang them because I wanted to sing them and hope for the best. You don't, I, I think, I think so much of it, I don't mean to dodge the answer, but I think so much of it comes down to that unexpected thing that happens when you actually start to sing it. There, you can plan so much on paper, both songs that you couldn't wait to sing for 20 years and also songs that somebody might bring into the studio that day that they think might be right for you or right for right now. And, and you, and you know, my first instinct is, you know, my own worst self-critic and cynic is, is to roll my eyes. I can't do that. Or come on, that's really. And, then you start to sing it and you start to realize just how meaningful it is or how, how much unexpected stuff you can put on it that you didn't expect to do. Singing is so, you know, there's only so much you can plan. You got to make noise and see if it feels right. And with experience, that's when I've really started to learn when to listen to the goosebumps and when to listen to the red flags. There was a time in the past where if there was something I wanted to do, even if, the red flag was raised in my own head. I plowed through anyway. And um, you start to listen more as you, as you get a little wiser to, to that, to that instinct. But, um, but uh, I'm sure there, there are songs that, um, that, that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare go after um, at least maybe, maybe ever, but maybe at least for, for a little while. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, when you do a song like it's now or never, you know, I mean, <laughs> You know, I would that, not, that, that would is, not have been on, that would not have been on, um, as much as I love Elvis and love that song, I, I would not have expected myself to do it. Sometimes you wind up doing something for a, you know, an event or a TV show or a charity or something like that. You, you get asked to do a song and, and you say, well, sure, why not? Because it's in the context of something else. So why not just celebrate the song? It's so interesting because... The, the only reason I, I wound up recording now or never is because I was so excited to, to just celebrate Elvis. I was so excited to just celebrate his voice. And we did it for an NBC special, um, you know, uh, celebrating his uh, Saturday night concert. And, and, uh, and so I, I, I wasn't, I didn't expect to get a reaction from it. I just was excited to, to sing it and, and, and celebrate his, 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 his range. And then I'll, and then, after I sang it, I went, well, there's something really kind of fun about that. And it actually wasn't so square pegging around holes. I thought it would be. And it made me realize that so many of the popular singers, especially from that day, they actually had rather classical voices when they wanted to turn that on Elvis included. So it wound up going from a song that I never thought I'd hear myself singing to one that actually I felt wasn't so out of place and, and was a lot of fun. Steve Jordan, who's just one of the most amazing musicians and, and producers. We've had a lot of fun both on the last album and on this album. And when I told him about Now or Never, he's like, Josh, I have loved that song my whole life. We got to try it. And he got some of the best musicians on the planet to just jam on that. And it was, it was, a, it was so much fun to sing. Well, it's interesting what you say about the, the classical voices and you know, those, those, you know, how a lot of those musicians back then. I mean, I'm curious, are there... You know, I, I guess, you know, just as a, as a fan of your voice, are, who are those people for you? Because obviously, you, you know, so many people have, you know, commented on your singing. When you think back to those voices that just blow your mind, 
score the one or two that are just like, okay. Well, I mean, there are... When I say one or two, I mean the first one or two that come to mind, because I'm sure there are several. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of two categories. There were the the interpreter, the great vocalists, or the... I, I, strangely, I became a baritone in my adult life, but as a kid, I, I also loved baritones, and I would listen to people like Robert Merrill and Mel Torme, and, you know, I would, I would just kind of dive into the great musical theater, baritones, John Raitt. And then there were, the, there were the songwriters that had unique voices that I could pick out of any crowd, like Paul Simon and Peter Gabriel and David Bowie and Annie Lennox and, you know, people that I just, you know, I loved Bjork growing up because I just felt like what she was doing with her voice was so different than what I was being trained to do. You know, she was just wild as wild can be with her expression. And so, you know, I listened to the technically perfect voices to, to kind of strive for that. And then I also listened to those voices that had a natural fringe and nuance and wildness to them uh, to learn about how there are many ways to shape, to shape a voice. And uh, so, yeah, I had, I had a lot of great, great influences growing up. And, and then you wake up one day and you realize you have the voice that you've been given. You can't really, you can, you can adapt it, you can shape it, you can interpret, but my voice is my voice. And so there have been times where I've wanted to sing like someone else. I can't. And there have been times where I've been able to use all those inspirations um, uh, to to actually shape the way I choose a song or interpret a song in my own world that made it different than I would have done otherwise. So you, you take from you try and take from a little bit from everything. Yeah, of course. And it's funny that what you say about the you know sort of recognizing your voice and also the difference between the baritones and the songwriters because it's funny. Like one of the songs you covered on the record that I absolutely love is she. And I'm oh, a yeah. huge Elvis Costello fan. Yeah, me too. But it's funny because, you know, if you listen to the early Elvis stuff, like Pump It Up or What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, you know, <laughs> and then you go back and it's like, wait, is this the same dude? Yeah. Voices change, you know? They, I, I and that's one of my favorite things to do. Elvis is a perfect example. Um, and Joni's another one. I mean, so many of the great, so many of my favorite singers, Neil Young, I mean, uh, O'Neill's voice has actually stayed pretty pristine, I have to say, actually. But, um, you know, it, it's my voice will continue to change. I, I, I feel like there's more than I can do with it now. And I, there's more that I've leaned into certain natural qualities or aspects of my voice that I, I wasn't leaning into as much earlier on. You know, our voices are in our bodies. Our bodies go through all different kinds of things in our lives and it's all connected. Our minds and our voices are all connected. Life experience changes the way we choose to use our vocal cords. It's the, the, the incredible thing and the frustrating thing about being a vocalist is that everything that happens in your life, everything that you put into your body, every, every moment of joy or grief or, you know, whether you work out your voice or decide to leave it for 10 years, it all affects how it's going to sound it all affects how it's going to age and and interpret in the future you know it's it's different in that way than you know uh another instrument that you can polish and put in a case and it stood the test of a thousand years and it's going to have that same quality um your your voice is, is what you choose to to do with it uh over the over the over the next many years and so um i i, I do love for my favorite artists that have been around for 40 50 years hearing those changes as well. Um, and then there are the people like Tony Bennett, where somebody into their nineties, you hear the striving to continue learning and getting better and, and, and the fearlessness to go up to that range. 
and to interpret the same way, you know, in many ways with the same freshness and uh, for, for his voice and for his songs as when he was in his 20s and 30s. Uh, so um, it's all different. I don't know where, what side of the coin I'm going to fall on if I ever luckily make it to that age, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because, I mean, you know, when you look at that, you know, you mentioned Tony Bennett, there's Elvis Costello, Neil Young is another example of an artist who, you know, I mean, the artists that I tend to admire are those that evolve consistently. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know. I mean, Neil, you know, has had his hits and his, you know, I'd say 95% hits and 5% misses. But, you know, it's always interesting and it's always fascinating. So for you, as you start to think of stuff that you want to do going forward, are there people that, you know, you say you don't know which side of the coin you'll fall on, but are there people that you look at and really admire as artists in the way that they've evolved and, and the way that they consistently challenge themselves that you think about, oh, this is where I want to continue to go as a vocalist and as an artist? I think that you always want to, um, you know, it's interesting because sometimes that exploration and that desire to break into new zones and expand and scare yourself can also be quite alienating for those that, that like a certain thing. And so I think that the artists that have found the balance of, of wanting to grow, wanting to expand and wanting to do it in service of um, making what their audience came for even more rich and even more, nuanced uh is is always the goal when it when it comes from the point of rebellion uh sometimes that can that can be you know there can be a lot of cutting off your nose to spite your face as far as that goes look there's a lot of experimenting to be done where you know it's going to be 90 percent failure that you can do in private i i play around all the time in my on my garage band and all that stuff and and that stuff will never see the light of day because it should it probably shouldn't but um but you know when i think of someone like paul simon for instance you know, the way he was able to um, transition from the Simon and Garfunkel days into Rhyme and Simon, into all of a sudden being inspired by all these different rhythms and sounds and from his travels, and then presenting it in a way of, um, of growth and education and wanting his audience to grow and educate themselves with him. Um, was you know that's that's the goal is you want to bring people along for the ride always and i i am a believer that especially when there's a lot of pressure in the music business to just stay the course and never drift out of what can feel like a very narrow lane i also believe that it's important not to take your audience's intelligence um for granted and that people generally like to be surprised by things they didn't know they wanted and like to feel like there's they are growing along with you so that's always, that's always the goal. That's always the goal. And the great vocalists have found ways of doing that. Uh, 5% fail rate is, is something always to strive for. The failures, um, you know, inform the hits. You can't, you can't have peaks without valleys. And um, there is no such thing as a perfect path. No, of course not. It's interesting. Okay. I mean, my favorite artist of all time is Bruce Springsteen. But I fucking yeah. love the song, Cover Me. Can't stand that song. <laughs> you know, every other song I love, but that song, every time it comes on, I'm just like, ugh. But all right, I know we got to wrap up. So two questions. One, I have to ask you about I Can't Make You Love Me because that's just one of the most perfect songs ever written. And it's funny because I got to interview Don Was and we were talking about it. 
you know, we're talking about, you know, when you're in a studio, oftentimes you have no idea if something is going to resonate. You have no idea how people are going to respond to it. And he's like, but when we were in the studio that day and watching the crew crying, he's like, I knew that it was, yeah. Maybe a slight indication that you may have something special there. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that song. It's one of the most beautiful, heart-wrenching, you know, timeless. I mean, it's it's the kind of song that, that could be done in so many different ways and still mean exactly the same powerful thing. And, you know, talking about John Raitt, you know, what a, what a family of great vocalists, um, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I, that's, that's a song that's been, been on my wish list for, for a while. Um, and I think I even recorded a kind of a piano vocal demo of it when I was working with Rick Rubin, but it, it didn't feel, uh, I felt like now was, was the, I don't know. Just sometimes you get an arrangement and it makes you feel like it's okay. You know, the unsung heroes are the arrangers, the orchestrators that sometimes as vocalists, we can be a little gun shy about tackling something we've loved for so long. And then you start to see the blueprint of how an arranger wants to encapsulate it. And, and that can be sometimes the boost you need to say, okay, I can, I can honor this now. I can, I feel like I can do this now. And so, um, yeah, no, Vince Mendoza, again, just somebody who always gets it right. Right, cool. Last question, because I know we got to wrap up, but it's funny because during quarantine, obviously, everybody goes through different habits and different things. And I've been rewatching a lot of shows. And my favorite person of all time uh, is Robin Williams. So I went back and rewatched all of Crazy Ones, yeah. you know, bought it on Amazon. So I mean, yeah. it's such a great, wonderful thing. So, of course, it makes me think what's going on with your acting? Anything coming up? <laughs> anything that you're excited about? And it's fun for, for you. As an artist, how much fun is it to get to do something where you get to show a completely different side of yourself? It's, it's so fun. It's, it's the best kind of being, it's the best kind of fear because, you know, I've been so lucky in my music world. So much of it, there was the fear of the music thing was just getting thrown into such a big world very, very quickly. I had to be on a pedestal from, from kind of moment one in the, in the acting and comedy realm. I kind of feel like I, I've been able to slowly kind of work my way up a little bit and, you know, obviously culminating in moments like to be able to, to share, you know, a couple of days on set with someone like Robin Williams was um, you just try to be a sponge. You just try to sit back and just observe and watch the process, you know, and learn as much as you can from, from somebody that you've admired, you know, your entire life and see how they, you know, approach a, a line or a scene or how they improvise, when they improvise. Robin was, I don't need to tell you, was just, was just the quickest gun in the West. There was nobody that could match him on that set. And, you know, and so you don't try, you just, you just try to, whatever, whatever way his boat is going, you just try to drift in the wake and, and, and catch up, catch on. And so, you know, it's moments like those have been just so um, rewarding, so challenging, so fun. Um, I've been on a lot of TV shows that I love, which has been a, a, just as an actor, which has been a really f- unexpected kind of twist to this already hard to define career that I've had. And, um, and I'd love to do more. You know, I, I've always appreciated the opportunities to, to, um, to, to do that, to, to explore, to, to use, you know, comedy is rhythm, just like music. And before I was doing musical theater, I was, I loved improv and loved, kind of the excitement and the fear and the tightrope walk of like having to think of a funny beat or a funny thing to say. And so it's, it's, it's something I love. Thanks for, for watching those. Those are, you know, I, my connection with, um, 
um, uh, oh, uh, um, he created Ally McBeal too, uh, David E. Kelly, uh, who created the crazy ones, uh, goes back to Ally McBeal when he, when he first hired me to, to play a agoraphobic young kid. And all those years later, later to, to work with him with Robin was a, was a blast. It's so funny though, when you say that, like you try and be a sponge, but you know, it's interesting. How much are you actually able to pick up? Because there's just simply no one like him. It's like, if you're a musician trying to, you know, improv with John Coltrane or, you know, Miles Davis, I mean, it's just like, there's only, you know, at some point, you know, you can observe, but there's only so much that you can do because, you know, very, he's just on a different level. Yeah. There's, there's, I think that, that, and, and comedy is not my profession. So for me, just, just coming up as a, you know, being on stage as a, as a fanboy, uh, having lines with the guy and then having a musical moment where we could just kind of riff and have fun. Um, at least I had a piano in front of me. So we, I felt a little bit like I, I could kind of, kind of be in my world a little bit with him, but, but even in music, I mean, I'll never forget. I, I sang with, I did a duet with, um, with Aretha Franklin for a, a Nelson Mandela tribute. And that was another situation where you don't, you don't try to match. You don't try to, go toe to toe. You just, you just put your microphone up when she puts hers down and then that, then you fill, you fill the space in between. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel very lucky that the people that I've idolized in comedy and music, otherwise that I've been able to work with, to be able to collaborate with, uh, I just can't believe my, my good fortune. It's all been, been, um, you know, as scary as it's been, um, rewarding and educational and, you know, and, and you carry that with you. And I don't know who those people were for them when they were my age, you know, but, you know, to have the opportunity to, to do that is something that has made this, I think, the most exciting, and the most rewarding. All right, I promise last question. I know, Luke, we got to sure. wrap up, but I'm curious. Sure. Now, two, two TV shows right now that you would love to guest star in, that you would just think, it, like, you know, the shows right now, since you say you've gotten to do a lot of TV shows, and then I'm going to ask you as well, <laughs> the, the one movie that you would love to, to do a remake of. Oh man. Um, that's a really, that's a really, really good question. Let's see. Uh, I, I would love to play a teacher on pen 15. I think it's one of the funniest shows out there. Uh, I would love to just be a waiter on chef's table. (laughs) Uh, that's not really a role. Um, I've been starting to watch, um, the West Wing for the first time uh, from from season one, and I've been so blown away with how that holds up. Um, if there was ever another reunion, I know they just did one. Uh, would love love to be in that. I Me, mean, I know Lin Manuel and I share that. The Pat, you know, and, um, God, I mean there there are some there are some. Jeez, I mean I've, I've probably watched everything there is now on every streaming service. Um, and it's just, it's all become a bit of a blur, to be honest. But, um, yeah. And what about one, one, one movie you'd want to be in a remake of? Because obviously the movie's already been made. But, you know, just those one or two favorite movies that you would love to. Um, the Jerk. Uh, I would say, oh, one of the great. Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Dirty Dancing. I, nobody wants to see that. Sorry, Trust going me. back. Trust me, nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Uh, movie, another movie I'd want to want to see remade. Um, I, I mean, I love I love Terry Gilliam. I love Monty Python. I love those old those old films. Um, I don't know. Uh, 
uh, Amadeus was, was one of my favorite. I, 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 I feel like I could do a great uh, Scottish accent, maybe Braveheart. Every guy wants to be in Braveheart. Interesting. So you, that was a big leap from Monty Python to Amadeus and Braveheart. <laughs> I'm just listing my favorite movies now. I, just, I, don't, I don't actually see a place for me in them. I don't know. I, I, servant number three. Uh, fair enough. All, all excellent choices. But it's funny because when you say Terry Gilliam, then immediately I go to Fisher King. Oh, Fisher King would be. Oh, yeah. Sure. There you go. Perfect. Set me up. Yeah, Fisher King. Oh, my God. I love that movie. I want to rewatch that movie. Cool. Right. All right, Josh, what do you want to add we didn't talk about? Because I know that we covered a lot. Nothing. You, 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 you asked such great questions. It was, uh, you, you, you covered it. You covered it. You even let me talk about my, my foundation. So I appreciate it. Oh no, the foundation is like, I mean, like I said, that's my favorite stuff. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I, I, I'm so, so pleased to know that you, uh, you share that and you've, uh, you've had a deep dive into that world as well. You, you get it. Yeah. Cool. What a pleasure. Thanks so much. Same Have here. You Thank you so much for the great questions. Tell you what. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Josh Groban. Thanks so much. And the first time ever I with you, I felt your When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 20-20 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theeyecenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.